Radio Radio. 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 Radio <laughs> Yeah, welcome to another interview with Radio Level 5. We are conversation. Another conversation in interview. Yeah, yeah it's more mm -hmm. like a conversation, it's true. Um, with Rachel Bacon today. And uh, we, that is Batsheva Ross and me, Olaf Winkler. And yeah, we are very curious to hear what you are doing, uh, Rachel. We are talking about your work again. Maybe also a bit about your background, we will see. And uh, yeah, let's go. Okay, thanks. So maybe just briefly tell us a little bit about you. Where do you come from? You're a newcomer here in Brussels. So you were, uh, uh, you are American. You're from the States. Yeah. And yeah. from the Netherlands. But lately, in the, in the past few years, you've been working in the Netherlands and then here in The Hague. Yeah, I lived, um, I've lived in Europe actually for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. And I actually first lived in Belgium before I moved to the Netherlands. Mm. Um, but I'm originally from New York, from New York City. And I went to school there. And then I moved um, from New York City to a tiny farming village in Belgium with only 500 people, <laughs> which is really. What made you come here? Um, uh, like, um, love brought me over but I ended up staying because of my work and because I, I started to develop a, a sort of practice in the Netherlands where I could work in artist-run spaces which was um, really new to me this whole concept that you you know artists collaborate to create exhibition spaces and do sort of more project-oriented kind of working and it really fit the kind of work I was making and from there I sort of graduated into or developed into working in public space. And in that time, I think before all the kind of cuts have come in, there was a really experimental um, attitude towards art in public space in the Netherlands. Um, so a lot of things were possible. So I did that. What for year is that? Um, sort of like 2000s, mm -hmm. like in the, yeah, like about 15 years ago, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think exactly, because I've been here a really long time. but. Um, it took me a while to sort of get up and, and running and connected from the little farming village. So I think it took me about 10 years before I got a grant, and then I was able to sort of start working and meeting people. So it, it really took a long time. Um, but I did the public sort of work in public space for quite a while. Um, and a lot of that work was temporary, but also working with um, different sort of groups in society. So I, I was always sort of focused on trying to connect the visual with issues or with something that has to do with um, the things that I thought of as important in society. So um, as you were looking at the film, uh, issues on migration, um, and actually also working on things to do with um, the environment. So I did a project quite a long time ago for the museum in Roumont, which was about the heavy metals that were being deposited by the river when the river flooded, which mm -hmm. is weirdly, again, incredibly um, relevant. And, and so those, unfortunately, those issues aren't going away. Um, but it took me quite a while to sort of transform into the, into the 
sort of work that I'm doing now, which is much more autonomous and um, really focused only on drawing. And that's more or less recent, um, like five or six years I've been doing that. Yeah, it's really like a, a huge range of things that you have done. If, if, if we go back to your work, earlier work, and then what you're doing now, as you said, we are focusing on drawing now. Maybe before we start uh, talking about the work, about current work, and maybe if there is some relation to the older works or not, um, you just said a sentence which I'm not 100% sure if I understood it right, but you were talking about the specific kind of collaborations which you encountered in Holland or in Europe in general. Is that a difference between New York and Europe? or did, uh, Was that what you were talking about, that there was a difference between the two backgrounds? Yeah, I, I, um, I think there's a very significant difference. Um, and I, I got to Europe through Dutch friends in New York City. I, I worked in New York as a bike messenger. And there were all these Dutch guys um, also working as bike messengers in New York. This is like, this, this like really tells you how yeah. old I am actually, because it's way before all the, the kind of new technology. I um, was more laughing about the Dutch people biking. Yeah, no, it's, you know, it's, it's really yeah, funny because they were all there like, oh, I've got my bike. Oh, I'm going to earn some money. I'll be a bike messenger. And there were these sort of um, groups of, of Dutch people. And I started hanging out with them. And it was, it was really interesting because they, they're like, oh, yeah, come over and, and have dinner. And they were, so everyone was having dinner together and then going out you know, to the bar afterwards. But, and then after, sort of, after I'd been there a couple weeks, they're like, OK, now it's your turn to make dinner. You know, so you, you participate in the group, but you're also part of the group that's, that's expected you actually do something as well. And when I, when I got to the Netherlands and started meeting all these artists' collective, um, collectives, I realized, ah, it's actually really similar. There's a sort of um, cooperation that's, that's part of how people organize. And it's not necessarily easy. It's like things are sort of thrown out on the table and, and fought over, and everyone's talking all the time. But it's a collective sort of mechanism that takes place. And it's really different. I think it's really different than the States because the States is much more focused on individual development. And, and it has a really different impact. I mean, I don't say everyone's always like, what's better? And I'm like, it's not better. It's just different. It's really different. Because in the States, you, um, I mean, I found I, I did a residency on Governor's Island um, for the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council in 2010. And I was there, I really consciously decided to go back to New York for, for, I think it was five months long, and I really wanted to sort of meet people again and reconnect there. And I can't tell you how many people helped me there. Like, everyone was like, oh, you know, there's this opportunity that would be great for your work. You know, you should apply to it. People were incredibly generous with their information, and like much more so than in, in Europe, where everyone's like holding their cards close to their chest and sort of looking at each other like, are you cool enough for me to hang out with you? And in New York, it was really interesting because it was the opposite of what I would have expected. Um, and I think that's also because the culture there is so tough in terms of surviving. You have to be generous with your contacts. You really you need each other. You, know, you really need to support each other because the system itself is so heavy. And in Europe, I mean, I'm vastly generalizing, but in Europe, there's more leeway, there's more space. So people are more choosy, maybe, about what they decide to do and how they decide to work together. Um, that's, I'm, I'm making really big generalizations. But I found in the Netherlands, actually, this, this sort of, and maybe, I don't know about other countries in, in, in Europe specifically, but I found this, this um, 
the sort of artist-run space and the artist collective to be really, um, really interesting and 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 su yeah, supportive of a certain type of practice where you can really experiment, uh, try things out, have the time and space to develop something. So, um, and that's unfortunately in the states or in New York, especially, pretty impossible because you just can't afford it. It's, it's just not possible. So that did influence your work as well? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was able to be an artist in Europe, whereas I think in New York, I probably would have, I would have had to have had a full-time job, like everyone, well, almost everyone I know. You know, and eventually I probably would have found a way, but it, it would have been a lot more difficult. Um, but I, you know, I left New York at a time when, when a lot of things were happening as well. So, um, yeah, who knows? I, I, but I do think um, that it's been possible for me to really, the way I work, I work really slowly. I make a lot of mistakes. I have to work sort of years sometimes on something before I understand what it is. I think that way of working would have been really, really difficult in, in the U.S., um, so, you know, for me it's been, it's been, um, it's made it possible for me to kind of continue. And then also there's the grants that you can get in, in the Netherlands especially, and eventually I rolled into teaching, which now I, I'm doing kind of, I think I've been teaching 10 years. And I have no certificates, I have no, you know, and, the, and I look at what teachers are doing in the U.S., they have really, um, uh, they've all got MAs or PhDs, you know, it's much more academic and, and sort of, I don't know, probably more, um, yeah, professional. I don't know, but it's it's uh, it's maybe a, a trajectory I don't know if I would have been able to do in the states either. And uh, so, it's, it's a strange word, but I, I think you know what I mean. Content-wise, did it also influence your work? What I mean is that uh, you already referred to this, and, and yeah. uh, to Bacheva's question, like questions of migration, etc., were showing up in your work. So if you are somebody who is conscious about social development, social phenomena, etc., it's quite interesting that you are also at the same time taking a closer look at your own surroundings and your own conditions of working and, and so on. So maybe this is reflecting back as well, I don't know. Yeah, I, I have a really, um, and I, I e even though I've lived here for such a long time, I still have a very, um, I'm very, very influenced by being from the U.S. and I also studied for a year in London where I also recognized a lot of the um, artistic practices which are much more analytical, much more politically oriented and focused and... Um, in London or in yeah, Europe? Yeah, in London. Okay. And in the U.S. and, and I'm sure you all know that like the U.S. is extremely politically kind of um, maybe to, you know, this is a period that everyone's going through but it's, it's extremely politically aware um, almost to Nowadays. the point, yeah, that you cannot not be that in, in the art world almost. Right. And um, I find that that really does inform what I do. I always feel, and that's why I was working in public art, because in the public art realm, because I felt like these the, the issues can't really be separated from visual culture. So I guess I feel it's a heavy word, but a sort of responsibility also as an image maker to address certain uses of imagery within society. I mean, I think to be critical of that is incredibly important. And to sort of think critically, but also to make critically is really important. And I think just from my you know small experience in Europe and, and where I've been, in, especially in The Hague in the past sort of 10 years, that 
there's a lot more space for, and especially at the art school where I teach, um, there's a lot more focus on sort of autonomous artwork. I, I, this is when you my say autonomous, because use it, what exactly do you mean by autonomous versus what? I think work that is really referencing the art world, but not the rest of the world. So that's um, that's keeping sort of um, yeah, that's that's self-referential mm -hmm. instead of actually cr looking at the context a lot more critically. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a world I love. You know, it's a world I want to spend all my time in <laughs> because I don't want to be. You know, I really. I would love to be only doing kind of making beautiful things. That would be great. And to hang out with people who are making beautiful things. Let's, you know, let's all do that. But, and you can also take the position that doing that isn't in of itself a political act. You know, mm -hmm. you could say that mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to step away from this, this other world. But I, I, I think it's about the critical thinking and the, the, the choices that you make and how, um, you know, granted it's not easy to do this, but how, how, uh, clear you are about those choices. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in, in, at least in the art school, in the art academy in The Hague, that's, that's definitely still, um, the, the word politics is a little bit of, of a sort of no-no. It's like not really something they're, they're really interested in. There's not, not everyone there, but it's, um, yeah, it's something I'm, I'm sort of working on slyly to sort of figure out how do you, how can you introduce the world into the work as an, and, and do that in a way that makes sense for artists to do that. So it's been my, the thing I've been working on in the last few years um, in terms of teaching. So but I'm doing, when I'm teaching, I'm actually, this is my, my trick as a teacher, I'm, I'm teaching myself. So I'm, I, this is a question I've been asking myself for quite a long time and I'm, I'm working on it through figuring out a method together with students. Um, yeah, I want to go back to your works and your um, and how they address the questions of uh, being uh, autonomous or political. And before we started this interview, you pointed out towards a work you want to start talking about, a work that you just produced now. What's the title of the work? Can, can you describe it? Um, do you mean the draw the the large drawings or the, the drawing with the, the text with the text the text yeah. drawing? Yeah. Um, that's a, a drawing series called Teaching Myself About Climate Change. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, I, the drawing, in the drawings, I'm copying out um, the, the whole chapter from a special report on uh, the oceans and the cryosphere in a changing climate, which is a, cha um, a, a special report um, written by the IPCC, which is the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. They just came out with the sixth assessment report. It was in the news recently. They leaked a lot of the information because um, the findings of the sixth assessment report are, are even worse than they had expected. And so, you know, governments have to do something now about emissions. It's really, really important. Um, but I've been, I've been actually looking at these reports for the last sort of four or five years they've been on my computer because you can go to their website and you, you get the reports and if you start reading them they're so shocking it, it makes you want to just go to bed and, and sleep and not wake up anymore but um, but I had I, again about responsibility and feeling like aha I, I, you know, I need to do something here with this but I, di I didn't really know what to do and um, I'd done a, a, 
proposal for a public art project in the States, actually, in 2013, which did not get accepted, which was copying out texts of stories in the pattern of a piece of crumpled paper on glass. And that got canned. And then it, it sort of clicked and it came together and I decided to write out the report um, in the pattern of a piece of crumpled paper. So I have these sort of drawings that look like, they look more, more or less like, the, the beautiful thing about the crumpled paper is the meaning for me is obviously that these reports are getting crumpled and thrown into the waste paper basket. They're, you know, they're being treated as, as garbage, basically. No mm -hmm. one's listening, you know, they, sh they should be listening, but they're not. And, um, and garbage is also a very charged word <laughs> there you the, uh, uh, yeah, this context, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, yes, kind I mean, you could yeah. sort of un unpack that as well. Yeah. Um, but I, the, the pattern is also of these, um, of the crumbled papers, also quite evocative of ice or of sort of land masses shifting, and I'm making the drawings with different um, tints of pencil, so from 9B to 9H. So it's this whole sort of grayscale, um, which, and I'm, the way I'm making the drawings is I copy out the parts of the text, um, and I'm, so I'm reading the report really, really thoroughly. Um, and it's this way of, of absorbing this information in, in a really um, slow manner to really understand and, and have it sink in sort of as almost like a sort of layer of sediment in my brain so it's there. So there are all of these things that I would normally not have had the time to read, but by sort of this act of drawing, I'm, I'm also um, absorbing the information. And the, there'll be a series of four or five drawings um, which will look kind of like, I don't know, they look sort of like mosaics almost, but, but also like satellite images of land masses. And this, this work came out of a project I was doing in Russia um, on landscape, um, for which I was going to travel to Siberia to visit a diamond mine. And that's been postponed because of COVID, unfortunately. But um, I wanted to, to do research on this area and find, you know, find, find out more about the cl changing climate there, because it's really up in the high north and the, the um, impact of climate change is incredibly important there. So this gives you kind of an idea of how, and, and actually the drawings I think are going to look, you know, you could walk into a gallery and see them and think, ah, you know, that looks, you know, that looks good or that looks a certain way and not have any clue as to what they're about. But the title obviously gives a clue. Um, What's and the title again? Uh, educating myself on climate change mm -hmm. and then it will be you know, each one will, the bottom will show its page from 1 to 32 page. The report itself is, is or the chapter is 118 pages, so mm -hmm. it's this. But you may, may I just, yeah. just understand it, right? Because you, you were showing us a drawing of this kind that you're talking about, but there was like a, a tryout, right? Yeah. It's a small drawing. Um, it looked to me like the text which you are writing, which is calligraphic in a way, it's not readable anymore. Yes. You were writing yeah. on it several times, uh, how does this work? So it's not about legibility or it's not about communicating actually content, that's not what... Yeah, exactly. That's, that's, um, that's very much the point that I was sort of making was to... This is a, a kind of individual internalization of this information. So 
it becomes it becomes very much not about specific um, things in the report becoming more legible. I, I actually think that's not necessarily my job as an artist. That's more, you know, there are people who are better able to do that in terms of media coverage. I mean, to, to really put the message out there to get people to know what's, what it's about. I wanted to sort of have this be visible as an artistic kind of statement, I guess, about a real deceleration of, of time and practice in terms of what are we doing, where are we going, a way of, of sort of slowing down to understand, to really sort of see. And I, I always think of it as sort of in a time of crisis, you know, slow down. It's, it's when there's so-called crisis, you know, we have to stop. And so it's, it's, it becomes less about the information and much more about the act of, of deceleration. But I you think. are using information. It's the first time, is it, or that you use actually text? Um, so what was this trans? Why using? You're actually processing uh, textual work and information, uh, texture and information into a work which is uh, more visual, more uh, tactile. So what is the process for you? Why do you choose to use the uh, to take out the the content of the information? Um, it's it's funny because actually it's I've I've really regularly used text as um, it's come back it comes back mm -hmm. every sort of two or three maybe three or four years there's a a large work that has to do with with just text as image mm -hmm. um, and just as an example um, <laughs> I did a I did a whole series of drawings um, drawing my shit. Like as in in the in the Netherlands you have flat um, toilets. It's funny Belgium you have ones that you know goes right. right into the. But I I started to draw um, my poop as letters. So I have a work called the shit alphabet, and it's this. It's very funny actually. I I think it's hysterically funny, <laughs> but it's it's twenty five letters. Um, I didn't ever get the M like perfect. So it's got you know the alphabet has twenty five letters, and it's really. Like this idea of of drawing as a material language, so that there's a there's always something to me about the language of drawing, about um, the 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 visual and the the communicative being together, you know, so that the one cannot be separated from the other. And and these these language works they sort of epitomize that in a way. Mm -hmm. You know, they make the visual into information and they make the information into something visual. Mm -hmm. So it hits you first. I always think that the the image is actually, that the word is an image, but the image comes before the word. And, and I'm looking as an artist to have this sort of moment of impact where someone sees something and they don't think about it. But it's, it's a very s kind of tiny moment before the brain kicks in. But I think as artists, as visual artists, we can do that. We have this kind of amazing ability to create moments where people, you know, <gasps> They, they stop and then they're looking. And I think that connection for me as an artist is what I'm getting at. So I'll never be like a conceptual artist. I'll never be, I'll, yeah, that's always where I have to, I mean, c ideas are, I have to be there, but it's it's not the starting point. It's really the starting point is this kind of moment of, you know, mm -hmm. like, wow, what is that? It's a sort of gut feeling I think I'm after. So it's it's, it's in a way taking out the information. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, there, there's critics. You could you, and I have talked about it critically with a lot of people who were saying, yeah, there's you know, you should open this up. This is really important. So, 
I'm also writing an essay, and at some point there may be a sort of other way to, and there's also, there's these really like amazing moments in the report that are poetic and, and beautiful and, and also tragic, you know, this, this about musk oxen dying and, and people's livelihoods being, you know, that they cannot pass on the, the knowledge because the ice is changing. So they can't pass on the hunting information. And it's, it's one, it's really dangerous. Also, they can't hunt, but it's also this loss of culture, which is tragic. And so there are all these things that I would, I think, oh, wow, they do need to be kind of visualized. So, or, or not visualized, but transferred or transmitted. So, you know, there's, there's maybe a follow-up on this, that this, this series of drawings works as a sort of, um, like a, a, what do you call it, like a kind of beginning from which other things kind of jump off. So it might be that there's a, a whole, an essay, or uh, I was thinking as well of doing a kind of um, like lecture, like a visual lecture or something, like bringing in more of this information, just because there's a lot there. So yeah, to me it feels like you encountered this material, and the first instinct you worked with it is kind of processing the emotional around it, and therefore you didn't go to the nitty-gritty information, but more, yeah, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but yeah. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a nice thing for me to think about is, oh, wow, maybe I could take, maybe this one work can resonate in all these other ways. Mm -hmm. And if I, if I keep slowing down, I won't go on to the next thing, but I'll actually work with this more um, and longer. Mm -hmm. So I think that's sort of what's starting to happen in a way. It's funny that from the period when you were working in public space, uh, well, first of all, that you turned to drawing, and drawing as such seems to me as a very intimate and very not only slow but very reduced form of art production. Uh, definitely, at least at first sight, far away from, let's say, the noise of traffic outside or wherever <laughs> you go in public space. And the second thing is also that if you go to public space, it doesn't have to be that way, but it's mostly accepted that you are considering the public as your uh, spectators also. I mean, it, it's involved just by choosing the space. And now you're, you're taking something which is communicative and internalizing it and turning it into something and transformed into a movement by your hand or whatever. So it, it, it seems very much the opposite. I think from yeah. I'm thinking it's still somehow connected, but that's what I'm searching for. Uh, to say something very naive or very direct, do you think about the audience when you're doing these things? Is it important for you to present it afterwards in a gallery space or whatever? You said you mentioned galleries and possibly some other space. Yeah. Is, is, is this follow-up step to give it back to some kind of, uh, some kind of outside Um, it's a really important question. I always think that work is made with an audience in mind. There's, there's, there's always a conversation. I maybe just speaking for myself, but um, it, it's almost it's it's a kind of wave, in fact, because as I, I went from public working in public space, and I think the last work I did was 2013, and the last proposal was sort of 2015, and and I felt like someone else was taking over the agenda. You know, because everything in public space has a list of things it has to adhere to. 
um, some artists can manage to, to do that or, or they get invited for a certain reason, you know, think of Kara Walker or something, or, you know, that's a totally different, like, league. You mean starting by simple regulation? Yeah, but there, there, there's also, also intentions, you know, it has to have so, sort of often a positive effect, you know. It can't be critical. It, 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 you know, that, that's, those are always the questions. So when I was working in public space, it, it made a huge difference if there was an art-related sort of group who were sponsoring the project or if it was just a city council uh, or school that was doing it or something like that. So there was this, this understanding of art as an open-ended process and art as a, critical, as, a, as a form of critical thinking and looking, that's, that's incredibly important. And if you don't have that in, in a public art kind of um, forum, it, it, it ends up being, you know, decorative or worse. Um, so, at, and, but even so, I found that the, I had a, a, this really strong desire to, to kind of come back to my own agenda, to reset my own terms in terms of what am I doing, um, where does it start? And I, I chose drawing because it's something that I see as like this kind of skeleton on which everything else is hanging and, and the sort of structure that underlies, you know, everything. And I'd been teaching drawing um, and teaching it in a, in a very experimental kind of expanded way as a way of, of like as a method for observation, as a tool for um, learning to, to create a, a, an artistic process from going to thinking to making. Um, and also as this amazing, you know, incredibly beautiful and wonderful medium in itself. So it was sort of, for me, quite obvious to start there, but um, all my work is graphic. And so I've always, I always see things in sort of two dimensions. It's, it's, I've never made anything that's three-dimensional, although I've made things in public space, but they've been, they're, they're always flat. It's always, it's always graphic. So it, it's, it's sort of the place I always return to. Um, but, but, yeah, again, to come back to the sort of idea of intimacy and drawing, I, I think I just needed a period of, of like, retreats into my own world uh, for a few years. But now what's happened is I, I sort of 2016, I, I sort of recalibrated. I, I threw out everything that didn't have to do with anything that I thought was important. So I ended up with um, graphite, paper, the crumple, and the grid. So like these four elements are in, like now they're in everything. And what I'm doing now, because the, the issues and the, the sort of social context, it's never gone away. It's like, I'm, it's coming back. It's like seeping back into the work. And I'm, you know, I started thinking about mining for that reason, like the crumple and the grid, you know, you can, you can really clearly see that as like the landscape or erosion or the earth and then the grid is this way of perceiving and measuring and and calibrating and you know cutting and so these two elements um, are, are now becoming kind of linked in what I'm working on and I'm you know I'm, I'm and it's still a work in progress because I'm trying to figure out how much do I make this a narrative or do I make this literal or how much is is again this kind of immediate artist or, or encounter with a, an art object or an exhibition um, I do yeah I do usually have something happening so I'm always thinking about oh that exhibition space or I need to you know make it fit in that I mean there's always a, an agenda but I'm, I'm trying to figure out now more consciously what the what is is that I want to have happen and I, I do think yeah I'm, I'm 
I feel more comfortable within the art kind of world. Um, but that may change. I mean, and it might need to change as well because I do think the issues, like the more I look into it, the worse it gets. And I think, why am I still an artist? You know, because it's, it's uh, yeah, it's very, very fast what's going on, these changes in the climate. Um, Maybe we should describe one of your works because yeah. that's always one thing with the, with the uh, level five radio interviews is actually that, of course, which I like a lot personally, but it's also a little challenge that you don't see the work. So yeah. describing it how you did and drawing is, I mean, you as an artist, you know the incredible range that is called drawing by now. I mean, you have huge books which are, I think this is drawing also now, okay. But for people who are maybe not artists themselves listening or so, they might think of just like the typical pencil line or whatever, but you are actually working in some ways that are almost sculptural because you talk about the compass and uh, that is you are destroying <laughs> the pure <laughs> shape of the paper and turning the flat paper into something three dimensional by fronting it. And the second thing is that you use the pencil almost like a brush or you're painting not lines but bigger surfaces. Maybe we should just describe how uh, your your drawings or actually look. You take a vast piece of paper, normally it's black or sometimes it, and then you crumble it, you put it in a grid, you maybe fold it within in the grid or how does it work? Um, well, the grid is actually in the shape of the paper because uh -huh. the paper is always a rectangle okay. and these shapes are determined by the printing industry. So they're, they're these very specific, um, and then the weight of the paper is also determined by the, by the shape and how big it is. So these are kind of structures that are entering into the, into the shape of the paper before you even know it. Okay, and then you um, crumble it. Yeah, so I, I, I have the, the sheet of paper, um, I crumple it, and then I start. And you open it up. Yeah, I unfold it. I usually crumple. I mean, I, I've also gone through phases of crumpling. So sometimes they're like balling them together. Sometimes I'm actually twisting and and turning the crumple so it starts to look more like a, a muscle. Yeah. Because I'm I, everything in the drawings are about this identification between the material and the body. So. That's another sort of idea that's that's sort of within them. They all, the crumple, um, oh, anyway, sorry, yeah, be sort of logical. Yeah, um, so then I, un I, I unroll the paper, and um, usually I'm looking for an interesting crumple. There's a moment when it gets too much, and there's a moment when it actually starts to look really interesting. As Olaf just said, it's really it, it's I'm I'm making drawings. I'm not really drawing. I'm not rendering. I'm I'm actually building the drawing. So it's it's a much more sculptural process. Um, and so I look at the relief of the crumple, and then I start to I use a mechanical pencil. So it's a nine millimeter, which is the thickest one, but it's also still a tiny pencil. And I I do that because uh, you don't have to sharpen the pencil, because if I have to keep sharpening it, I go mad. So several pieces that we saw in the studio, oh, yeah. okay. but one of them where partially it was entirely covered and other parts were the drawing or whatever you want to call it between the crumpling lines and so on, but these pieces are probably 140 by, I don't know, 90 centimeters or so in the end or even more, not rectangular anymore, but just to give an idea of the size, so it's a lot of pencil dust. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, the, the, the series I'm working on now is uh, four, four different drawings, um, and they're all more or less sort of two meters by, by 140, or 250 by 140. And then I've torn the corners off um, to make them into hexagonal shapes because I wanted to sort of, this is maybe too much in the, it may be, it, this may be a wrong idea, but I wanted to sort of reference the shape of the, the chemical structure of diamonds and coal, so the sort of crystal shape, but it, that, may, that may be a silly idea. But anyway, right now they're all um, hexagonal. Um, and there's, there's a very thin layer of uh, foil in between the, the drawings, so I, I sort of, these drawings are laminated. I got to that process, it took me like, I started doing that in 2018, it took me a really long time because when I first started, I just crumpled the drawing, uh, the paper, and they of course fall apart, so I could show them maybe one or two times and then they'd fall apart. And that's maybe interesting, but it wasn't really that handy. So I, I was looking for a way, and I wanted to make them um, able to stand up in space as well. So. But these drawings are, um, they look, the, the paper looks more like leather. They have a very um, sort of uh, rough surface so that the light is shining. So when the light shines on them, there's, you, you see the relief. Um, and then I, I, like very meticulously, I fill in the um, spaces in between the crumple lines. So these, these, um, like black, the paper's black, so these, these sort of lines start to emerge from the paper, and they look like, I'm, I'm thinking very much about veins, about um, sort of, and I, I look a lot at these images of, of uh, vessels, of blood vessels, um, of muscles, and anatomy, and also um, the way that ore looks in, um, it, it looks similar, you know, the way ore, like, like, um, um, Coal sort of lines would actually look in a in a mine. So I'm sort of trying to, to create these these parallels visually, um, and the graphite itself is um, I I use this tiny pencil, but I I'm usually put down about three layers of graphite. So I'm going over them again and again, and it's more like polishing than like drawing, basically. And this very fine dust starts to come off it. So I was wearing a mask when you guys came in because it's getting into my lungs as well, and um, I'm getting a little bit allergic for it, so I have to kind of have this, this sort of scary mask when I'm working, but it's, um, um, yeah, graphite is, itself is not, it's not bad. You just don't want to have a lot of dust in your, in your lungs if you can help it. Um, thinking of the process as an artist that comes always with the same material to the studio and works again and again, and I feel like, uh, so, are you entering and crumbling and opening, and then you are kind of getting to know your material and kind of uh, how is the feeling uh, to enter always the same material? Um. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I mean, just this morning I was um, drawing this really large part of the drawing uh, that's that's completely filled in with graphite, and I'd been sort of sketching in the, the little broken shapes that were sort of coming off of this large graphite shape. And I then started like very carefully filling in the, the shapes so that they're all kind of clear, they've got these sort of clear edges, so it looks really graphic. But I realized that it's really nice when 
the sketch line stays sketchy. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, okay, oh, shall I do that now? And then I thought, no, I'll do what I kind of planned because it also looks kind of good. But the next one, I'm going to do sketchy mm. and see what that does. And so each time I'm working, I, I see something else. Mm -hmm. So, so far, that's actually happened. With each one, I've realized, ah, I can do something new. For instance, the scale now, this is the first time I work so large. Um, and also without a kind of clear grid from the pieces of paper mm -hmm. hanging together. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a very different sort of set of works now. Mm -hmm. They're also starting much less to resemble um, sort of veins of, of, of coal or something. They're starting to look a lot more like ice flows, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is also something I was thinking about. Like, how do I get from earth to water? So this, this moving back and forth between these different worlds, actually. Um, so you see the sort of interconnectedness between the things. And we're in this kind of fluid place, so all these pieces are going to be separated in the space, so when you walk in, it, it, they're going to feel like they belong, but they're fragmented. So, it's, so there are new things happening, actually, each time. Um, so I'm still, I'm still, yeah, I'm still quite interested in it. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's really funny because I'm thinking about this procedure as well. Um, when we talked before, Tanya, you said that it's also about being slow and taking time for the thing. Um, but I see different steps within your work, and uh, they all have different. What I mean is, you, you take a piece of paper, you crumple it. With this, uh, also uh, um, aleatorical thing. Yes. Is the word in English? I know. Yeah. No, it's by yeah. coincidence, it, it gets its shape. Um, and then, especially with the big sizes we have now, you are starting to fill in these shapes that just happened. And at a certain point, you decide, let's go one more round, two times, and you're like crumpling it again. But then you're filling it in like almost like a, a person that is uh, obsessed by <laughs> filling in these tiny things. That's the second step. And then there's the third point, which is a totally different perspective that I've been thinking about the last 15 minutes while we keep talking, is actually that uh, if you ever ask yourself if your work is partially also about making your attention go away. So what I mean is hmm. you're you you're making what, what we call a drawing afterwards, hmm. but what happens at the same time, you take a massive piece of pencil and all you essentially do is make it go away. And in the end it's gone. And uh, you maybe have a flat one, but it's like three layers, four layers tight. But <laughs> for me, the most <laughs> impressive result is that this pencil is gone. Roughly. So it's really like, and, and, and I'm not trying to make fun of it, not at all. It's mm. just something which is uh, connected to the slowness. Mm. It's reducing the work that you do to something very, very elementary. That's why I'm asking this. Mm -hmm. What I decided this point, but you, you could say you are taking time and a pencil, and by combining them, you make the one go away and you have a new sketch or so. so it's I wonder when mm. a, when you have a pencil on the paper, the fact that it sticks to the paper and uh, out of its shape, does it melt it? What what actually is the process of uh, or that makes the shape of the pencil go down? Uh, does it how does it move? Yeah. yeah, what's the physical? It's like the micro, uh, the micro yeah. level. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I'll I'll think about that. Yeah. But I wanted to. Uh, respond to you, Olaf, because um, the the sort of loose title of all of these works 
for the last few years in my mind has been how does a pencil become a diamond? So I've been thinking about the transformation of this very humble thing into something valuable, so-called valuable, because you, you or I spend an enormous amount of time on this piece of crumpled throwaway paper and what I'm also sort of suggesting is to take care of these damaged things in a way that makes them visibly, that you can visibly see the, the value about of them. So it's, it's a sort of way of revaluing or, or trying, attempting to sort of a, a proposition of how to think about things or how to look at things that are maybe overlooked or maybe damaged or maybe somehow considered waste. And then also to take this idea of the diamond as this incredibly valuable thing um, and to think of it as a material, as just another material. It's, it's they, carbon, or they're both pure carbon, graphite and diamond have exactly the same chemical structure. So there's no difference between them, in fact, except there's a huge difference between them. So, um, yeah, so, uh, but I, I, I really appreciate what you're saying. I like this idea of the sort of the disappearing <laughs> pencil that sort of. Because you said that it takes so much time and it's also that effort and it's yeah. also that big. Yeah. And you have to make it smaller or whatever, or just even just on the surface. You can take uh, 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters and have the same effect on the surface just to find out how good or bad things get in the world. Yeah, yeah. And. Uh, Basheva, what were you asking about this? Uh, just what, something that how does it? How does it? Um, well, it's the. It's it's an it's a. It's maybe more of even a technical question. I don't mm -hmm. I don't actually. There's no fixative, right? Mm -hmm. So. Um, um, no, I'm not talking. I'm asking just in general. How does a pencil turn to, from from the shape it is to the paper? It's kind of the question. Mm -hmm. I understand when we have this discussion, like there's a, the shape, which is like a pole of uh, graphite, and then it slowly turns into dust that sticks onto the paper. So what is the chemical process that goes? Just wondering, I mean, just a question. I don't yeah. know if you should answer it. Just I, a I question that came into mind. It's like, um, it's probably like, it's probably like a process of like curing leather or something. Mm -hmm. You know, that mm -hmm. something is, is like rubbed. So that when warmth, you, you know. when you rub something, a powder. Mm -hmm. I think it's basically, but the other thing is that um, graphite gets really, it's a, it's a really good heat conductor. Yeah. So uh, when I'm using the graphite sticks, so to do the really large sheets, I, I use graphite sticks, not the, it still takes a long time, but yeah. it's, it's nothing compared to the tiny pencil. Um, but that I have to stop once in a while because it gets too hot. Yeah. And so it's, I don't know if there's some, there's some energy that's going into the, Probably, the yeah. graphite into the paper. I don't know mm -hmm. if there's some sort of like alchemical reaction that takes place. Mm -hmm. I would love it if that were the case, but <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah. The funny thing is that by asking these questions, we get closer to the um, topic of making sculptures instead of just drawing, yeah. so to yeah. speak. It's, it's a material transformation that is happening, in your case, even three-dimensionally, even said everything is always working that I do, um, which is not entirely true because I do objects as well, mm -hmm. at least slightly three-dimensional. But even here, I mean, they're not just crumpled, so they're not flat anymore, but it's also the foot 
Yeah. Um, that's quite nice because it gives a, a certain additional something. Uh, and their uh, texture is really, really important, which is also a sculptural kind of quality. Um, I really, really am looking for this in-between state. So um, I've also made drawings where they're slumping from the wall to the floor. And that's some something I'd really love to come back to because um, that starts to really reference this idea of the sort of forlorn, thrown away thing, which is, is kind of, again, you know, it's, it's like a, a garbage or, or paper you see in the city that's sort of collected uh, next to a building. And, and um, but, but it's also this interesting idea I find between what, what's standing and is it, is it standing up or is it falling down? It's in this in-between state. It's something that's not, you know, completely, um, uh, on its own, it, it needs support, and this 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 sort of tension between this feeling of falling, I think, is really um, a fragility can be kind of physically felt when you when you kind of come into a space. So, um, and I'm I'm trying. I think this area between drawing, between sculpture, between something like literal as as text or or image. These are the interesting sort of ambiguous spaces what I'm trying to kind of suggest are places we might need to spend a little more time getting used to because I think we're in a time of transformation anyway. And how do we deal with these times emotionally? We, we, we sort of have to become a little more at home with being uncertain of where we stand. And these works are sort of suggesting that, I hope. Sure. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot of information, a lot of questions. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, thank you so much because this wonderful questions sort of open new rooms up in my head. So yeah. it's really nice to yeah, have thank had you this chance. Yeah. And it was very interesting to hear all this. Uh, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Oi nar 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 Oi nar